It's time to make a change. BetterHelp.com's e-counseling is an effective, convenient, and affordable way to get help with many issues. Get help with stress, anxiety, depression, relationships, career issues, self-esteem, and many other life challenges. Complete a short questionnaire to get personally matched with one of their professional, licensed, and experienced counselors. Get the support and guidance needed to start making a change. BetterHelp.com is a convenient, affordable, private online counseling platform. They match people with the licensed, accredited mental health professional best suited to their individual needs in a safe and private online environment. All counselors are licensed, accredited professionals. Anything one shares is confidential. Getting started is free so you can feel confident BetterHelp.com and the therapist they match you with is right for you. Then just pay a low flat fee for unlimited sessions with your counselor. All this can be done with your own time and at your own pace at BetterHelp.com. Talk radio, music, and podcasts from the Korean Peninsula. KoreaFM.net. The Asia Institute invited the public to attend a free lecture by the author of the first English-language book written about one of Korea's greatest historical figures. Welcome uh, to our Asia Institute seminar uh, on Chechuan, Solitary Sage, The Profound Life, Wisdom, and Legacy of Korea's Goon Chechuan. My name is Emmanuel Pastreich. I'm the director of the Asia Institute. Uh, we're particularly honored to have everybody here for this very important discussion about Korea's uh, legacy, particularly its intellectual tradition uh, and the service, uh, the dedication to education, uh, to scholarship, to literary and artistic creation, uh, and to good governance, uh, which I think is what has inspired many of us about Korea and its past. Uh, and I think it's very important when we're talking about Chechi Wan to look at it from both perspectives, both as a Korean uh, and also as someone living uh, in another country. And I think for both uh, David and myself, we've had the experience of living in a foreign country, as of course many Koreans have uh, living around uh, the world, studying in foreign countries and coming back. Uh, Korea is in a sense, one of the, it's a very close society in many respects, very strong sense of cultural identity, but it's also one of the most global uh, countries in the world, with people constantly going everywhere uh, and coming back constantly. So if you want to think about Tetsuan and his significance for our present day, I think he has that great significance in what he offers to young Koreans for what they can achieve, uh, studying abroad and acting as sort of cultural ambassadors for Korea, but also an inspiration, I think, uh, for people like myself or Professor Mason who are living abroad in, in uh, foreign countries and trying to make our contributions uh, within this, or Dr. Singh also, uh, within this society, uh, which uh, Che Chi Wan, I think, remarkably did both well. I think he did better uh, in China, uh, but uh, he had the, uh, the dedication and the sense of uh, uh, responsibility uh, and moral uh, commitment uh, to try and do both. So to learn more about the specifics of Che Chi Wan's achievements uh, in a moral sense, in a ethical and also a administrative sense, but also in a literary uh, and cultural sense, uh, we will have uh, Professor uh, David Mason uh, from uh, Chunang University, uh, who will be talking about this excellent book, which he 
we're so honored to have the chance to present to you Solitary Sage, the profound life, wisdom, and legacy of Korea's Cohen Solitary Cloud, uh, Chi-Wan. So, Dr. Mason, please. He's really one of the great figures of Korean history. Any, any Korean would admit to that. Uh, every Korean knows his name, if you pretty much ask anybody, because he's in all the school textbooks. Yeah. Uh, but this is one thing that might turn people off to him to uh, find that, uh, you know, because he was in the school textbooks and part of the exams uh, in school, then they think it's a boring subject and they don't want to hear about him. But he, he is a very well-known figure to the Koreans, not so well-known among the international community. Especially, he is actually one of the first Korean historical figures that got studied by the first Westerners who came here. The first uh, academic journal article about him appeared in 1903. And so he's always been uh, the Royal Asiatic Society Transactions Journal. It's its very third uh, edition. Uh, it's it, he's been known and among Korean scholars and specialists, especially of literature, he's been known. But there's really not that much about him published in English, other than academic articles about some particular aspect of him. He remains a very interesting figure. He's related to so many different things besides literature being like the father of Korean literature, but also Taoist traditions, the Shinsan Sasang or immortality traditions, which kind of weave throughout Korean culture. And he is one of the few Koreans who's considered to have reached enlightenment in the Taoist way and become what they call a Taoist immortal. There are a bevy of Koreans, perhaps a dozen or less in history, but he is by far the most famous thought to have achieved this. Before describing the life of Choi Chi Won himself, Professor Mason made sure to impress just how ubiquitous the figure's life has been on almost every area of South Korea. There are so many places. I discovered in this research nearly a hundred places around Korea that are associated with him. That there's a shrine, there's a monument, at least some kind of signboard saying he was here, he did something. And some of these are not even true, some of these stories. Uh, but but uh, many places are, are anxious, local areas are anxious to identify with him, to claim that he was there in their area. It adds to tourism, it simply adds adds to their prestige, their dignity, their uh, sense of local pride to do so. Um, uh, he's known as the ancestor of Korean literature. His carvings on rocks are very famous and are frequently visited tourist places. His stone steles, which Kang already showed you one of those and describes are very important to Korean scholarship because they're from 1,100 years ago and car carved in excellent essays, carved in stone that really tell us very valuable things about Korean history and especially uh, Buddhist biographies and temple histories. He's also associated with Pungyu, which we're talking about, is a very common Korean vocabulary term in talking about Korean culture. He invented that word. 
However, uh, there's so many stories, legends, myths, and actual f concrete facts we have about him, and they've always been kind of jumbled. I've noticed this. N they're nowhere presented together in a coherent way. And so finally, I took on this project, and with the some, somewhat of the urging of the Kyungju Che family itself, his descendants, who really want this to be put together in one volume, in, in a try to make coherent sense out of it. What did he do step by step during his life and the total summation of his legacy, which turned out to be just a heck of a job to accomplish. It took years uh, because uh, there's really so much. There's so much about him. Um, to, to talk about. And even the, the rather big book I ended up doing is uh, could have been bigger. Choi chi was a great Korean scholar, but at an early age, he was sent west and stayed away from his home for many years, something Professor Mason says many current-day Koreans can now identify with. One of the stories that every Korean knows, when he was only 12 years old, his father sends him to China. And say it's a very vulnerable young age at there, but it's it's right at the point of becoming a man in traditional society, right at just at the beginning of puberty, and so when you a boy is capped, as they say, sending him to China on his on his own, basically, just traveling with a group, of course, but uh, going there on his own to study and to to study for the highest imperial exam of China for government service. Now, this is very difficult to exam to pass. Many Chinese boys would study for uh, 10, 15 years to be able to pass this exam. His father told him famously, said, you pass the exam within 10 years, 10 years, or else you're not my son. I would disown you. Okay? Now, he passed it in six years. Six years of study. By the time he's 18, extraordinarily brilliant. Amazing. And he's a foreigner, remember, learning to speak Chinese at the same time that he's studying. The, he already knew the Chinese characters are written, but having learned to speak Chinese and listening to Chinese lectures in this, really pretty amazing. He passes in six years. Now, this becomes a whole theme. As we know today, Korea is obsessed with education. Education obsession. And parents who push their children to learn and to study, sometimes to the point of torture and abuse. Um, and it's just a society devoted to education and parents pressuring. This is really the first example we have of that. We've had great scholars before Chi Wan, but this is the first kind of story of this. Of it. There's one story about Kim Yushin, the great general of Shilla 200 years before Chi, whose mother pushed him to study, forcing him to give, abandon his girlfriend and stay to his studies. One story like that. Otherwise, this is the main story we have, the first real thing of a father declaring like that, which seems overly harsh to us, you know, pass this very difficult exam in 10 years or I disown you. You're not my son. I mean, pretty vicious by our modern standards, but this thing here, many Koreans take that as an example of good parenting, of, uh, of motivation. And so he passes it even in six years. Uh, a sense kind of of loneliness now. Because he was so brilliant, it was kind of a mistake um, he passed the exam so well, the emperor of China took notice of him. 
He was like placed first in the exam, and he's only 18, and the emperor says, who's this guy? And then the emperor says, you stay here. <laughs> don't go home. You work for me. And you don't say no to the emperor of China any more than to the godfather. And so so uh, he had to stay, and uh, loneliness, exile, loneliness, another kind of theme. Koreans are very comfortable in their own culture, very attached with their families, traditionally their family, their hometown, their village, very sentimentally attached. And to be in exile, whether later in a Japanese uh, factory situation or as a soldier or any kind of those who fled to America and made the Korean-American communities and such, a feeling of exile and loneliness and longing that has long been through Korean culture, the great Korean national anthem of Arirang, which has seemed uh, a kind of a theme of missing your hometown, missing your family far away, the, the boatmen on the river, even within Korea itself. And so this kind of theme. Che Chi Wan, one of his first and most famous poems that we know is about his feeling of loneliness as he's leaving the capital for his first government assignment and realizing, well, I can't go home. I'm heading deeper into China here and such, and feeling lonely about it, that exile from uh, such. And that relates, as Emmanuel's already mentioned, as something uh, many of us as expats who live outside of our own home country can certainly relate to, some of us more than others, but the, the feelings of being away from home, away from what's familiar in a foreign country, trying to make your way uh, as a young man, only 18. This is a heavy burden for him. So both of these themes he personifies in a very early way. After earning an excellent reputation, Tui Chi Wan was given his highest ever post with the Chinese government, a position that would eventually allow him to return to Korea. And once again, this created a situation that Professor Mason says Koreans today can greatly identify with. Yangzhou City, which at that time, the late Tang Dynasty, was called the wealthiest city in China, the richest city. And Che Chi Wan had proven himself in just 10 years to be honest and incorruptible and brilliant. And it might have helped that he was a foreigner without a family there. That helps you not be corrupted, perhaps, because you don't have all the connections with, with other aristocrats that can lead to corruption. So the richest city in China, the, the emperor said, we need the most honest official to run this wealthiest city because the temptations of corruption are so great. Che Chi Wan was appointed there, a very high honor to be governor of Yangzhou City. This is Yangzhu, uh, which uh, Yangzhu City of Gyeonggi Province was named that in Che Chi Wan's honor during the Joseon Dynasty. Got that name, and that was partly to honor Che Chi Wan, uh, the, the, giving the same name of that city, the same one. There. Now, during, while he was there and during his late period, possibly even before he was appointed to Yangzhou governor, the Huangchao Rebellion was happening for an entire decade. And by the end, it got really bloody and really nasty and almost destroyed the Tang Dynasty. And several great Tang generals uh, went sequentially against the rebel leadership and finally defeated it. And it is said that Che Chi Wan helped. He was an advisor 
an advisor to these uh, two of the top military generals, giving them a strategy advice and writing documents for them. He wrote two key documents, uh, one of them a report to the emperor about the rebellion, which, which became famous for its clarity and completeness, an excellent report that the government uh, claimed, and another one, an, attack, an essay attacking the rebel leader for his moral degeneracy, which supposedly a copy of that got to the rebel leadership when he was already proclaiming himself a new emperor and sitting on his throne, and he read Che Chi Wan's essay, and he dropped it and fell down on the floor in humiliation because che, Che's words were so pointed and so exact and that he kind of lost his mojo, we Americans would say. He lost his courage and uh, martial virtue after that. He started losing battles after that. He kind of lost his self-confidence because of Jay's essay. And finally, he was defeated, run down and killed. And so the emperor of China richly rewarded Che Chi Wan there and probably by giving him the Yangzhou thing, but also giving him personal gifts. And finally, Chad. Che said, well, what I'd really like is to go home, if you don't mind. And so, so after 17 years of in China, already a middle-aged adult, the emperor did allow him to go home as part of his reward. Back to Shalai. Mm. Now, he comes to the Shilla capital of Kyungju, yes, and he is a royal document writer uh, at first in the uh, in Kyungju City, working for the royalty that's there, richly received by the king and honored, but finding, now just as Kang was laying out, finding that his birth, his level of birth, restricted him from really higher office, which it might seem that he would deserve. I mean, a guy like this coming back from Tang China, you might think he'd be like prime minister in uh, Little Shilla, but. Uh, even unified Chile, so pretty small, got less than a single province of China. All right, so, uh, 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 so, but he found himself limited by birth because of the rigid system. Now, Tang was very open, you see. Tang Dynasty, much more globalized, sophisticated, much more of a New York City kind of a thing than we had ever had. Multiple religions, multiple races, peoples welcome in Tang Dynasty China. The, go the government of Korea at this time would never hire a foreigner, not for any higher level uh, ac uh, higher level office, but the, the government of China would... Uh, uh, government of China, Tang, was very open to hire uh, Arabs, uh, people from India, Southeast Asia, whoever came in, whoever was talented uh, and such and showed promise and lower class people within China itself could rise up in the ranks, especially in the military, if they showed great skill and virtue. So a much more open cosmopolitan system, but Shilla terribly closed, as Kang has detailed for us, very rigid, and Che Chuan found himself locked in by his birth. This may be the very reason that his father sent him to China for advanced study, to try to escape the bounds of rigid uh, placement within Shilla society, but, all, but it really wasn't working. Kind of Korean cultural theme that 
resonates with us today. The idea that he was not very well accepted. I mean, you can imagine he was probably speaking with a Chinese accent and using a lot of Chinese vocabulary and certainly had ideas of, you know, the outside world. I mean, Tang was a great, glorious, vast empire and so cosmopolitan, so international, so globalized and such. And Schiller so narrow and unicultural in contrast especially the late Chile here. It, it had been more globalized perhaps 150 years before, but not now. And uh, he found himself rejected and excluded, just kind of socially excluded and within the government, not taken seriously. This is a theme that resonates today with Koreans who go overseas to the great European universities or to Harvard, Yale, Princeton, whatever, you get foreign PhDs, come back to Korea full of ideas, new ideas, the latest thinking and international point of view, and find that Korean colleagues don't necessarily want to talk to them as such and feel, you know, not they don't really get the jobs that they think they're going to get, find themselves isolated at universities and such because, uh, and, and even students, I have witnessed this myself many times, 30 years as a professor in Korea, Korean students going overseas, spending a year or two, like to get their English good, coming back and having social problems with their own family, but certainly with their old group of friends. They talk about, like, you know, a Weigup Nense kind of a thing. Uh, 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 oh, has a foreign smell to him now. Uh, so he doesn't quite fit in with us. And if I am, then they talk to me about it and tell me their troubles. It's time to make a change. BetterHelp.com's e-counseling is an effective, convenient, and affordable way to get help with many issues. Get help with stress, anxiety, depression, relationships, career issues, self-esteem, and many other life challenges. Complete a short questionnaire to get personally matched with one of their professional, licensed, and experienced counselors. Get the support and guidance needed to start making a change. BetterHelp.com is a convenient, affordable, private online counseling platform. They match people with the licensed, accredited mental health professional best suited to their individual needs in a safe and private online environment. All counselors are licensed, accredited professionals. Anything one shares is confidential. Getting started is free so you can feel confident BetterHelp.com and the therapist they match you with is right for you. Then just pay a low flat fee for unlimited sessions with your counselor. All this can be done with your own time and at your own pace at BetterHelp.com. Subscribe with iTunes, Audioboom, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. And if you enjoy what you hear, like us on Facebook. Also, consider throwing a little cash our way by visiting patreon.com slash koreafm. And find more of our great content on our home on the web, koreafm.net. Choi Chiwan did not find the same success with government positions back home as he did in China. Something Professor Mason says led him to become one of the first Koreans to publicly advocate reforms to Korean society. Previously, we have Buddhist monks, great Buddhist masters, who did advise the royalty, you know, to be more moral and be more excellent, and the king would at least pretend to obey and follow. But this Confucian tradition of really standing up as a sunbeam, a sunbeam, which you're going to hear much more about later, uh, uh, as a scholar official with a really virtuous heart and willing to sacrifice himself or herself for the good of the nation to stand up and speak the truth in front of the king, in front of powerful people, speak the truth from the spirit of Confucianism about reform, about what's necessary, even though you're putting yourself in personal danger. 
Uh, many Sunbi later got their heads cut off, or at least were sent into exile for daring, you know, Zhou Guangzhou and other great figures like this who we know of, who sacri were sacrificed for doing this. It's a dangerous thing. And in China, it certainly was too and such, to try to speak the truth to power. But this theme, this theme, Che Jiwan is really our first good example of this. The first guy where we have a record of a Confucian official remonstrating to royalty and proposing reforms and saying, we must change, and then losing and such, but still trying. And all through Korean history, very few of those guys ever succeeded. But it is said, that in his he left the capital simply with a walking stick, maybe a little backpack of things, no possessions, just walked away. Left his job, abandoned everything. Supposedly he came to Jirisan, the nation's holiest mountain. And already he'd been to Sangesa Temple to make that history before. He had served on the northeast corner of Jirisan in Hamyang County, so he would know the area. This is said to be, uh, it's one of the most remotest valleys of Jirisan, the great Huage Valley, very famous, that is the center and home of Korean green tea, right at the end of that valley and branching off to the northeast as a, a ravine going up, one of the remotest places, said to have the purest water in Korea, the cleanest, purest water in the nation, people say. And it's said that the tea masters of Huage Valley, the green tea masters, still climb up into this ravine to get their water to do their special ceremonies and tea ceremonies. He went here at first. Therefore, later it became named Daesung Gegok. Daesung means great sage. Great sage. And Chechiwan, ever since, since 1,000 years ago, has been officially called the great sage. Daesung as a, so uh, the great day, and it's been named the Daesung Ravine, and it still has that name today, and it's a popular hiking area for Jirisan. This incredibly clean water and lovely landscape. He went there to wash his ears, which is kind of a, a poignant theme. Uh, it, said, it said that he came there and went to this rock, the Seiam, the ear-washing rock, and the water was running higher at that time. He, he sat on that rock and washed the corruption out of his ears. The corrupt, been listening to all this corruption in the capital, and he washed his ears clean with this very pure water. Choi Chiwan spent the rest of his life traveling and teaching until he is said to have ascended to heaven on the top of a mountain. At Gayasan, Heinza, surely one of the greatest temples of Korea. Everybody would rank this at like in the top five temples, at least, of the nation. And has a great history all itself. It's said that he ended his life here. The Samguk Sagi, a rather official historical record, uh, says that he ended his days here lived here at the end. Today, one of the greatest of all temples and famous for scholarship with the Tripitaka Koreana, great, maybe the greatest or second greatest national treasure of all of Korea, uh, enshrined here, the famous uh, uh, ship, ship sail uh, pagoda in the back, and etc. Just one of the really great temples of modern time now and throughout Korean history for the teaching of the Wa'om Buddhism. He lived here uh, at the main temple or in one of the, a couple of the subsidiary hermitage temples claimed that he actually had a residence there 
at the end of his life. It is said in the Samuk Sagi and by common legend that one day when he was really at his end and had perfected himself as far as he could, he went hiking alone into the mountain, climbed all the way to the summit of Gayasan. And you see the summit here, it's kind of a flat platform, a little bit like the place of Kimkagi, not, not as sharp and steep, but a flat round platform at the peak of Gayasan. And that up there, he did his final spiritual practices and ascended to heaven as a spirit immortal. Nobody witnesses. Kim Kagi, hundreds of people saw him ascend from that peak into heaven, supposedly, but Chechuan, nobody saw it. Just he went off hiking, and several days later, people say, where's Master Che? Oh, he went hiking. And they, they searched exhibition, finally up on the peak. They found his bamboo hat and his sandals and his hiking stick and nothing else. And they brought his hiking stick back to the temple, stuck it in the ground. It became a great tree, of course, that is now at the entrance of the temple. Uh, it's possible that he went up there and he was actually just eaten by a tiger. But to say that would be cynical. And we are not cynical people. And so we will leave the story that he ascended to heaven as a spirit immortal. And the lecture finished with a list of the five lasting legacies of Choi Chi Won. Pungyu is a key feature of Korean cultural discussion. Whenever anybody talks about the Korean arts, music, dancing, the word Pungyu comes in. I mean, flowing of the wind, flowing like the wind, wind flow uh, kind of term. Che Chiwan developed that term. He invented it. At least he's the first to ever use it that we know. And it has become a standard part of vocabulary in discussing Korean culture. He described this pungyu as, okay, like this, and then as combines the three doctrines, Confucianism, Taoism, and Buddhism, and grafts them together so as to transform the people into sages. He was proposing, for the, for the first time, we have any records in East Asia of anybody, proposing a unified harmony between these enemy religions, essentially who are rivals and kind of enemies in China, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism. Combining them, this is a, a much later Chinese Ming Dynasty painting of those three religions harmonizing together. The Chun Bigyong, a fundamental, basic Taoist scripture of Korea, supposedly Che Chiwan discovered it and translated it from ancient characters. This is something that really has no evidence before the 20th century, but again, Koreans believe it. And this is enshrined in Korean Taoist temples and is attributed to Che Chiwan. Korean Taoists believe this strongly. The whole philosophy then of heaven, earth, and humanity, as in all these symbols, uh, which we could do an entire hour lecture about in itself, very important, Che Chi Wan credited with bringing this into the Korean philosophical mainstream. His most famous literature book that is known as the father of Korean literature, in national spirit, his standing up for Korea as a cultural patriot, and this was sometimes regarded negatively. People, some people in Korea with the 20th century said that he's too Chinese. He was influenced by foreigners. But I would think otherwise is generally he's a, a hero. The Kim Ju Che clan. Many, many famous people, including one president of Korea, many army generals and great figures, and today one of the pop stars, etc., are his descendants. This is the Che family 
insignia that is used. The Che family office right here in Seoul, not very far from this building, uh, has his portrait and then a, a very complex lineage descent and this huge collection of his books and writings and books about him. And here, when the very first time that President Park met President Xi of China, she quoted a Tang Dynasty poet to him, and he quoted from Che Chi Wan about the excellence of Korean-Chinese relationship. He quoted that back to her without advance warning to the Koreans or whatever. He just memorized this text, quoted that back to her, and this became a big deal. And the Che family very proud of it. Okay. And the many places, they put, a museum put out this map of all these different places associated with Che Che Wan all over South Korea. I found a dozen places more than this even associated that's in my book, in my research. This is in Yangzhou City of China. This is the big shrine for Che Chi Wan. Oh. They have three different shrines for Che Chi Wan in China. Three places where people go and bow to him. He's that much famous. Koreans don't seem to even know about this. Oh. But, you know, it could be a part of uh, tourism. This is a big shrine that even has a museum for Che up in the second floor and all about Korea-Chinese relationships. So this is inside that in China, Yangzhou City. Statue of him. And Koreans come here in groups, and Chinese also participate in these Confucian ceremonies. This is in Nanjing City. They just established the old in the old capital in a public park just last year. Established this statue of him. So it's really important for the relations between Korea and China historically, and right up to the present, the whole spirit of them as partners. So my new book. Aha! Check it out online. That's it. Following his presentation, I asked Chungon University professor David Mason why he chose to research and write about one of Korea's most recognizable historical figures. I think I've done this in a, in a major way like four times in my career, sort of built my career on this. There are many major aspects of Korean culture, not little details, but fairly major things that nobody's done in English, sometimes done nothing at all, not even a magazine article, and sometimes just you know no major book that really explains it all. And we, it's kind of remarkable in that way. China and Japan, every serious major thing has been covered long ago even. And like today, PhD students must do the most niggling little details of uh, topics and such. Here in Korea, what, uh, I, part of what fascinated me to come to Korea and then stay here for 33 years doing this kind of thing was that, that there were big major parts of Korean culture that have never been covered yet. And in some way, it's the, just that Korea started late with Korean studies and promoting its culture, and it was kind of an isolated country until it got democracy, a bit of a pariah country in some ways. And in other sense, there's a sense that Koreans kind of hide things certain things. They select certain parts of their history and culture to promote to the world, promote to foreigners, but then there's a lot they leave out. And it's mysterious how these things are chosen and what is kind of left out and just never talked about to the foreigners. And often an attitude, even among government tourism officials who I dealt with for many years, who just say, oh, foreigners wouldn't be interested in that. No, nobody would care about that. We're not going to promote that. And I was like, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's great. And so Che Chi Wan is kind of one of those things. It's mysterious in to me. 
it's mysterious that nobody's done this before. Why not? He's so major, and the government should have funded this long ago and promoted his image to the world. You would think, get this out in English, and there should be videos and a Hollywood movie and blah, blah. Guy's got a great story. And such. And it, it, it kind of sometimes feels to me like, well, why do I have to do this? Why doesn't somebody else do it? I'd just be happy to read somebody else's book. But it can't be found, and so then I feel like i got to do it myself. I'm Chance Dorland for KoreaFM.net. Talk radio, music, and podcasts from the Korean Peninsula. KoreaFM.net.